the Rogue Runners podcast with Kyle from Solid Agronomy. And today we're going to talk about what I kind of look at as the science mindset. Uh, to me, the science mindset is where we, I don't know, some people call it the STEM mindset, but science to me is kind of where I go into things with an, with an open mind. And it's, it's a little different and it, it's something that I think people... Uh, people have, you know, like just some people have it. And for whatever reason, I have that kind of mindset, uh, that that's just the way I'm wired. Yeah. And one thing I, I really pay attention to is the fact that I don't always believe one thing, right? I, if there's new evidence presented, I kind of weigh it. Um, I, I look at the arguments for what they're, they're talking about and I might change my opinion on some things. And, that's kind of evident in a few things that's happened in the last few years. Um, the first one, and kind of the reason this came about, um, I was talking to uh, somebody about a post uh, about sulfur. And it's it's something that we've been doing the last few years, especially on corn. And when I first came up here, um, you know, coming out of school, and that would have been in 2006, 2007, uh, it was the first time I ever seen sulfur deficiency in corn. Uh, would have been in 2006 in uh, Northwest Indiana, and I've had a lot of it show up uh, more and more every year. We we traditionally never had an issue with it, and you know we always talk about this, and it, it's something that most people know about is the uh, Clean Air Act kind of cleaned up all these scrubbers, uh, well installed in scrubbers uh, on on these industrial processes, so. Coal fire power plants, uh, coal plants, uh, a lot of these places that were putting sulfur in the air. We had acid rain when I was a kid, you know, so statues were eroding. Uh, you get more rust in vehicles, uh, stuff like that. In the 90s, they enacted the Clean Air Act, which which kind of made these companies clean their, their act up. Hey, we keep using act a lot. But anyway, so what they ended up having to do, and a lot of these companies put in uh, calcium scrubbers. So this is where we get gypsum from or gypsoil, whatever you want to call it. And what it is, is basically they're passing this air or exhaust through a gypsum or a calcium filter and it captures the, the sulfur. So we don't end up with it in the air and then we got to put it back on the crops, which is fine. Uh, but traditionally we were getting, I don't know, 30, 40 pounds a year from, uh, from the air and sulfur. And after decades of that happening and, maybe a few hundred years of that happening, uh, basically ever since the Industrial Revolution, we stopped getting sulfur from in the air. And now we have to supplement that. Um, and that's the biggest struggle I have with growers is I never put sulfur on before in my career. Why do I need sulfur? Well, sulfur is one of the, the macronutrients. So one of the most needed nutrients in, in crop production. And you got MPK, uh, magnesium, sulfur, and calcium. And it's one of those big unit or nutrients you need. And usually we don't need much in huge amounts. I mean, magnesium usually for us is not much of a problem. We sit on top of a dolomitic lime bed. So dolomitic lime is magnesium cal. It's, it's, it's a magnesium based calcium source. So we usually have plenty of magnesium in the soil. And for us, that's not much of a problem, right? So we have magnesium and we have calcium. So for us, MPK and S are usually the things we have to pay attention to the most. 
Sulfur, for lack of a better reason, has always never been a problem until the last few years, especially on grass crops. Grass typically uses it more. So we're talking about wheat, corn, grass hay, uh, alfalfa definitely needs sulfur, um, <clears throat> and to a lesser extent, soybeans. When I first started in school, you know, even though this was kind of starting to happen, you know, we we had a few years of not having as much sulfur coming from the air. And to me, the easiest way to explain this is when I was a kid, I used to live in Northwest Indiana. We live right off of US 30 between 6 and 30, almost to 31. And so near Plymouth and that area, when we would go to Cubs games, we had Cubs season tickets when I was a kid, we'd have to drive through Gary on 94. You drive into Gary and you literally would see it coming and then you would get into this just yellow cloud. And that is gone. That's not there anymore. It had this like raw egg smell to it, sulfur. And now we don't have that anymore. And <clears throat> when we first started seeing this show up, you know, we had a few years worth of sulfur in the soil. I mean, it doesn't go away immediately. It's it's going to be there for a while. So when it first started showing up, um, we were still being taught in school that, you know, sulfur deficiency toxins, you never get that. So when we started seeing it, it was kind of a weird thing. It was something new, and we kind of paid attention to it, applied some sulfur, whatever, we moved on. Eventually, we get to the point of me coming out of school and... You know, at that point, we weren't doing much side dress nitrogen. Most of our nitrogen was put on up front. Um, when we do a soybean mix, we were doing 923.30, 514.42, which is two-thirds potash, one-third DAP. And that was kind of a normal mix. And especially in our corn, we never really worried about sulfur too much. So in, I think, 2011 or 2012, I had a few growers that we were doing top dress with. And so traditionally our top dress the first year or two was just straight urea. And we were lacking this, <clears throat> lacking this greening effect, you know, right after we put the urea on. We were seeing more green corn faster with UAN because it had nitrate in it. Urea has to be converted before it can be plant available. So we were still having issues there. And then I had guys with sulfur deficiency. So we put AMS with it, ammonium, which is another plant available form. One thing we noticed is, number one, we fixed the sulfur deficiency, and number two, we were more efficient with our nitrogen. We get a faster green up when we add ammonium with the urea because we actually are putting a plant available form out. So two things were fixed with that. So when we first started doing this, I think our normal rates were about 50 pounds of AMS. So we're putting on like 10 pounds of sulfur, and that would fix it. We were happy enough with that. Eventually, we started seeing more and more sulfur deficiency as kind of the years go on and so we've been adding more and more and more to the point where now we're putting on 25 to 35 pounds of sulfur on corn so <clears throat> when i first started university data university research um older agronomists you name it farmers everybody was like no way am i putting sulfur on corn i don't need that and eventually we started to see that we were seeing yield responses we're starting to see greener plants. We're more efficient with our nitrogen. In fact, there's a way that you can measure the N to S ratio to make your nitrogen more efficient. And those things all kind of happen as my career progressed. And now to the point where we are making recommendations for sulfur. Well, now flash forward, well, revert back to about a few days ago. And there was a post to how much sulfur do you put on corn? 
there's a few people that were in there. It's like, don't say you put sulfur on corn because sulfur doesn't do anything. I haven't seen response to sulfur. There's no reason you need sulfur. Okay, well, so this is the difference between someone who has what I would call a science mindset and someone who has just like a confirmation bias mindset. When they read articles, if there's a benefit to sulfur, it's wrong. If there is not a benefit to sulfur, that's the right one. And to me, when I see articles where there's no benefit to sulfur and there is a benefit to sulfur, I try to understand why there was no benefit to sulfur. All right, so is it a different soil type? Is it a different crop? Is it, you know, they have, <clears throat> they're using manure. There's got to be a reason why they're not seeing a benefit to sulfur. And if there is a benefit to sulfur, we want to understand where that's happening. And maybe we might adjust our rates. But at the same time, I'm thinking with a science mindset. I've changed my mind. I've, I've kind of paid attention to what I've seen in the fields. I'm seeing, you know, what I'm seeing in university research. Another part of that is in the last three or four years, I would say, I remember at one point in my career, we were doing this 5-14-42 mix on beans. At one point, I was reading around, you know, we had a lot of people asking about sulfur on soybeans. And we didn't want to do it because I could find numerous articles saying there is no benefit to sulfur in soybeans. If you put sulfur on corn, there's just enough sulfur for soybeans the next year. We'll have, a, we'll see a residual benefit from the sulfur. Mind you, we're playing sulfate, so I'm kind of finding that hard to believe. <laughs> we'll see much sulfur, maybe from stove or residue or something like that. But whatever. We had a lot of stuff saying that there is no benefit to sulfur on soybeans. Well, in 2017 or 18, study comes out from Purdue University. Uh-oh, we have sulfur. We're showing sulfur advantages in soybeans. And we're not talking two bushels. We're talking like eight to 10 bushel. So, okay, well, now we need to pay attention to that. And so now we're kind of paying attention to the sulfur on soybean thing. We are pretty much, most acres are getting sulfur on soybeans. And if we do, we're usually using elemental in the fall before. And sometimes we'll use sulfate in the spring or during the season. I actually have quite a few guys who are top dressing soybeans. And today I made a recommendation for a guy that maybe it might be the thing to go with. And then we've did a couple of weeks worth of uh, tissue samples and some beans. Put sulfate down in fall. So sulfur's gone potentially most of it's probably gone uh, especially on this well-drained soil and so now we're saying okay well maybe we should go out and top dress some sulfur on soybeans so we're going to use some gypsum and potash again i changed my mind scientific mindset to me we look at the data we're starting to see sulfur deficiency show up in beans you know are we going to put 30 40 pounds of sulfur on beans i don't think so but at the same point i think there's some reason that we should be doing that you know and so there's there's not just this example, but this is the easy example for me to explain. You know, there, there's a lot of times in my career where I have an opinion on something. And to me, you know, if I can just kept saying the same opinion, there's no way this will work. There's no way this will work. Eventually, the people that find a way to make it work will push me out. But I think for me, the best thing, and honestly, um, me going out on my own and me doing a lot of different things. I've always done weird stuff. And we talked about that in a previous podcast. It, it's not hard for me to reach out and be like, all right, let's try this new thing. And I mean, I try drones. I'm trying podcasts. I'm not very successful at it. Um, no, I'm doing all right. Uh, but anyway, 
I try all this new stuff. We try new things. Um, I'm constantly trying to change and evolve. Um, I want to be fresh and new, but at the same time, remember some of the original things that I've learned. I'm not saying we need to totally forget, wipe out everything we've learned in the past either. And I think a lot of the stuff I've learned over the years have helped me. There, there's a lot of things that we're using now that I learned a few years ago. And some of the things we're using now, you know, I was talking to somebody today and we're talking about Enlist. And I said, well, this is great. You know, we have to use Enlist now. And the, it's a younger guy I was talking to and we we're talking about it. And he's like, oh, I have, there's something like there hasn't been a new mode of action uh, for crops in 20 some years or 19 years. And I said, yeah, I remember when Callisto came out and that was a big deal. And I said, and it's funny because now we have this new technology. I'm using a weed killer my grandpa used to use in the 40s. And that's 2,4-D. That's the new thing. And we're learning some of the lessons maybe that they learned back in the 40s and 50s with 2,4-D. And it's, it's just interesting to see some of these old lessons coming back. And I think part of the issue we have sometimes is I always struggle with coming in with a farmer mindset. There's a lot of people that will make fun of agronomists because we're telling you to do stuff and you like to prove the agronomist wrong, which is one of the things I have going on sometimes. But we have this thing in agriculture. It's, it's a stigma. I always talk about the stigmas, and that's one of the stigmas is where we, we always want to prove people wrong. It is what it is. And I have to, as an agronomist, Try to understand the farmer mindset. And it's not the I want to prove everybody wrong part. I want to... Sometimes farmers find things out and learn things over the years, especially on their soil types and their farm, that are different things that you wouldn't learn in school. But for them, it's something they've always done or something they learned to do over the years. And some of those are actually kind of innovative. There, there are people that do things that it works for them and somehow it works. And to me, it's spent a lot of time talking to those guys and asking them, how do you do this? You know, what's going on? And I think there's a lot to be learned from some of that stuff, especially from people that have been doing this longer than me. The other part of it is, like I said, sometimes, yeah, they might have opinions, they have ideas, um, they have ways of doing things that work and, we got to remember those things. And at the same time, we also have to adapt a little bit. Sometimes things change and it's very hard to do that if you've been doing this for 30, 40 years. But I think having a scientific mindset and going into things where you are like, all right, there's no confirmation bias or bias. I want to understand why this is working or why it isn't working. And I think that's very important for somebody who's coming up in agronomy or even people that are my age or even older. Uh, it's, it's it's something that, yeah, I don't know, you have your own opinions. But at the same time, I think I'm I'm always leaving my opinions open for interpretation. And I I might change them over the years. And that's fine. You know, I'm, I look back at newsletters I've written in years past. And we're going to end this very soon because I'm rambling. But I look at older newsletters. I, I keep them all back from 2009 to now. And... There are things I wrote, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago that I uh, I don't totally agree with. And that's fine. It's probably a good thing that I changed my mind. And there are a lot of things that I, I talk about uh, when I was first starting out that are still very relevant. So anyway, we're going to end it there. But like I said, I think going into things with a scientific mindset is very important. Uh, trying to 
understand that sometimes things can change. Um, you know, crops change, uh, crop needs change. I mean, when I started, we were growing 150 bushel corn on average, and now we're up to over 200 in a lot of places, and things have changed. And to push the, the game a little further, um, I think going into things with a scientific mindset is kind of what we have to do. We have to kind of adapt a little bit every year. So anyway, hope you guys enjoyed that one. I'll catch you guys next time.